Our scripture today is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 2. Again, that's Luke 2, 13 through 20. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hail all hail, his wondrous birth. Welcome again to Holy Trinity downtown this morning at the Swiss Hotel. We're glad that you are here today. And um, we've been thinking about Advent over the last four weeks or so. And uh, the first Sunday of Advent, we were thinking about what we call the mystery of the Incarnation, which was when Gabriel came and spoke to Mary and said that she was going to be with child. And she said, how could this possibly be? And God says, with God, all things are possible. Nothing will be impossible with God. Then the second week, we thought about the joy of the Incarnation and Mary's words where she, she says that she magnifies the Lord and she rejoices in God her Savior. And then last week we looked at this little phrase in uh, chapter 2, just in the verses before, where it says that, that the, the angel gives this good news of great joy that will be for all the people, and then says, for to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. In other words, last week what we were looking at is the foundation of our joy. Why are we able to have joy in the incarnation? And it's because of this miraculous birth that has come into the world. And today what I want you to think about with me is what you might call the fullness of the incarnation. That is, how, how do you celebrate the fullness of everything that God has done? Because actually in verse 13, what begins to happen is the response there's sort of a threefold response to the news that a child who is a savior has been born. And the threefold response, in a sense, models for us what kind of response we should have to the news of, incar of the incarnation ourselves. I would admit that even as a pastor, sometimes it's uh, possible going throughout the day to forget God to uh, come to one o'clock in the afternoon and realize that my thoughts have been scurried away on other topics and forgetting the strength of God, forgetting the priority of God and the, the presence of God or the holiness of God. As uh, one of our Australian friends, John Chapman, who is about the funniest man I've ever met, once said, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you don't have to be a Christian. Which is a way of saying that even those who are in so quote unquote religious lines of work can forget who God is. You might have heard of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was born in 1918 and died actually in 2008, but he looked at the 20th century. Here's a man who was a novelist who was imprisoned for his 
political views and the way that he spoke out against the prison camps, which were at that time called gulags in, in the USSR and in Soviet Russia. And somebody asked him to summarize the 20th century, and he did so in four words. And his words were that men have forgotten God. His summary of why people could be put in prison camps, taught that God does not exist, taught that there is no meaning to life other than the state itself, is that men have forgotten God. And I wonder how true that is, not just on the individual level for each of us, but also on a national level, if it's actually true that in politics God is used as a prop to manipulate, at least in the West. And in the East, sometimes God is denied, spoken of as a fable, a figment of our imagination. Or if in our culture today, God is taken as something, someone who's not only a figment of our imagination or a fable, but someone to react against. You see it in many ways in which our our culture has turned away from the things of God. I say all this because uh, this passage is probably about one thing, which is remembering God. It shows us through the angels, through the shepherds, and through Mary, what it means to experience the fullness of the incarnation of Christ. That it requires a celebration of the angels, the sprinting exploration of the shepherds, the quiet meditation of Mary. So I just want to walk you through these. Call them guides. Call them mentors. Call them models of how we should experience the incarnation. And uh, we'll just be looking at them one by one, the angels who are in verses 13 and 14, and then you get the shepherds in 15 to 18, as well as verse 20, and then Mary, verse 19 Listen to these great words. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in, in her heart. And uh, my, my basic premise today is that if you want the fullness of the incarnation, you need a fullness of the response of all of those who are around the incarnation in these verses. So will you bow with me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, it's easy for us to forget who you are. It's easy for us to forget this moment when Christ came into the world and the angels sang and burst open the skies with praise. And so we pray, Lord, that uh, in this season, but also in 2022, Lord, that we would not merely go about our days forgetting you, but remembering the unforgettable God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's just take a look at those first couple of uh, verses there in verses 13 and 14. It follows after uh, the first appearance of this angel that comes in verse 9. It says, then in the same region, verse 8, there were shepherds out of the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And uh, the reason for the shepherds in part is that God is taking some of the lowliest people in that culture and bringing the message to these lowly people. It's in keeping with what Mary Uh, said in her Magnificat that God has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. 
that he has brought down the mighty from the, their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Here are some outcasts, some isolated ones, and God is exalting their humble estate. He's coming to the lowly. And this one angel appears, and uh, after the, the first angel appears, verse 13 shifts away from the single announcement to the fullness of the announcement of the angel. And it says, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. In other words, on the event in which God enters the world, in the moment in which God is born as a child, one angel's not enough to bring the good message. The sky needs to burst. You know, during the, uh, during the summertime, on the 4th of July, many people will go out and watch fireworks. Why do we do that? Because we're celebrating, right? The sky is exploding with celebration. This is as close to a, di a divine display of fireworks as there is. If we celebrate with fireworks on the birth of our country, God is celebrating with the angels on the birth of his kingdom and the birth of his king as it comes as he comes into the world. Once you begin to grasp the depth and the breadth and the wisdom and power of this incarnation, celebration is needed. That's why we sing. Okay? So Christmas should be about singing, should be about lifting our voices. <laughs> friend of mine came to church with me who, uh, a Muslim friend who worked at the gas station near us, and as he was sitting in one of our services in Advent many years ago, I said, it, does this remind you of one of your services? And he said, no, we don't have singing like this. But the incarnation, because of its meditation on the great glories of God, calls us to celebration. It says, glory, the angels say, glory to God in the highest, which is to say both God is in the highest, but the glory is in the highest. Glory is that outshining splendor of God. It's the out, outpouring praise of God. And we see it in our, we see it mostly in sports uh, competitions today when when there's 110,000 people at the University of Michigan U of M football game, and it's just deafening. Imagine more than 110,000 coming together. Glory to God in the highest. That is celebration, but then there's also something you might call reception here as well. Because it says, in peace on earth among men and women with whom he is well pleased. In other words, part of the reason why Solzhenitsyn says that We've forgotten God is because the 20th century had so many wars to it. And he wants to say that it, it's as if we have forgotten God. If there's one thing that our, our world needs, it is peace. Enjoy the incarnation by peace. That's part of what he came to bring. Think of uh, the concept of God bringing peace with us. Romans 5, Paul says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that is made right with God by faith, we who once were enemies have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's this uh, 
Yes, there should be glory and praise and celebration, but there should also be the reception of the message that the Savior has come into the world to give us peace with God. We who have been at war can now lay down our weapons because a treaty has been made. Two directional, there's glory in heaven and there's peace on earth. Luke is saying through the angels that to fully experience the incarnation, we need to celebrate and also receive what he has come to give us. Don't forget the God who has not forgotten you. During the incarnation, celebrate him and receive him. Secondly, we move from the angels to the shepherds. And here the angels leave Sorry, the, the, the shepherds leave the angels as the angels go up into heaven, and they are launched into what you might call uh, a, an exploration. They've heard these words about Jesus and what is going to happen. In fact, they've heard these words, verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The angels depart. And verse 15 says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They become, if the angels are convinced of the glory of God, the shepherds are curious about the words of God to see how they might be playing out. It says the angels went away. They said, let us go and see. Verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby Lying in a manger. Can you imagine seeing the child, uh, Rembrandt, or some now say it's one of his pupils, has a, a painting of the adoration of the shepherds. And if you look at it, uh, there's some of the shepherds are sort of talking to each other as, as if they're saying, what is this that we're seeing here? A couple of the shepherds are just lifting up their hands sort of like this. You can tell that they're worshiping. It's a, it's a dark scene. It looks like it's kind of, it looks like in a barn. They're sort of crowded together. There's only, there's two sources of light. One of the sources of light is a little lamp that one of the shepherds is carrying. And the other source of light, which is brighter than the lamp, is the, the person of the infant child himself. They've gone, they've heard this message and they have gone on a sort of exploration to find where this Christ might be. And what Luke, who opens this gospel saying the reason why he's written this whole thing is so that you might have assurance that you might have certainty considering, concerning the things you've been taught. Part of what Luke is doing is saying, look, take the things that have been promised about Jesus. Take the promises of who this Christ is and make them your own exploration. Let the promises about Jesus being the son of David take you back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and then take you forward to this moment as well. Let the promise of Gabriel to Mary that she will be with child take you back to Isaiah 7:14, where it says that a virgin will give birth to a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel. What Luke is saying is, yes, it requires celebration at the moment of the incarnation, but it also requires exploration because the depth of the incarnation cannot fully be comprehended without understanding the full biblical context of what God has come to do. So trace. There's a lot of places to do exploring. Some of you 
maybe more are more in the stage of celebration, and others of you are more in the stage of of exploration. Uh, if you're if you're one of those people who was dragged here and you are exploring Christianity, the Case for Christ is a is a great book. Mere Christianity is a great book. Confronting Christianity: Twelve Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion by uh, Rebecca McLaughlin. It's a great one. But it moves here from, they move from, from exploration to declaration. So each of these, each of the characters that Luke presents to us has a sort of dual role. One, the angels, this calling of celebration and then reception. And the shepherds here move from exploration to declaration. The very next thing that they do is they declare about who he is. You see it in verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. This exploration leads to the declaration. They've found what they have been looking for, and now it comes time to make it known. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. So joyful declaration is the response to the incarnation. Why we have the song, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watching over flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. Go tell it on the mountains, over the hills and everywhere. When you have the good news. When you understand the power and the truth of the incarnation that God has come into the world through Christ to bring a king who will bring a new kingdom who has set us free from our sins, it's good news. It needs to be told. That John Chapman had a book that he uh, used to uh, promote a little bit called Go and Tell. The good news, a simple way of telling out the good news of the incarnation. Down in a lowly manger, our humble Christ was born, and God sent us salvation this blessed Christmas morn. Go tell it on the mount. So exploration and declaration, and then maybe the most um, profound here is this response of Mary. We've heard from the angels, we've heard from the shepherds, but look at Mary. Mary gives us, uh, you could call it, meditation and contemplation. (laughs) If the angels are this public announcement of what has happened, Mary takes all of these things and she treasures them and she ponders them in her heart. There's an aspect of the incarnation that is so deep, so mysterious, that it requires the turning over and over and over again of the thoughts and the promises in your mind. Actually, these two words are really amazing words. Um, the first one, both of them start with a little prefix in the Greek, which is like, which means sort of with or together, like, like sort of soon. And the first one is soon tereo, which means to like hold together. So she's holding all these promises together, holding them in her mind. It's what we, it's treasure is how we translate it. And the next one is to, is, is a lot more motion to it. And the word is actually to like throw together. So she's holding all of these promises and thoughts together. And she's also throwing them around sort of in her mind. 
And that's what, what, what meditation is. Mary treasures up all these things and ponders them in her heart. What's she pondering? As John Donne wrote, immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. The idea that the creator is now clothed as an infant. Or as John Donne also wrote, that Mary became her maker's maker. Her father, you can't even, you can't even wrap your mind around these things. How is that possible? And that's what she's thinking about. Or Augustine has a, a prayer that he wrote for, for Christmas, which says, let the just, and what I want you to do just for a moment is try to meditate on these things. Try to ponder them and contemplate with me. Let the just rejoice, for their justifier is born. Let the sick and infirm rejoice, for their Savior is born. Let the captives rejoice, for their Redeemer is born. Let slaves rejoice, for their master is born. Let free men rejoice, for their liberator is born. Let all Christians rejoice, for Christ is born. Mary meditates and Mary contemplates. The wonder of the incarnation calls for this kind of deep treasuring of the things of God. Yeah, it calls for celebration. Yes, it calls for exploration, but it also calls for this quietness of of meditation. And that's important because the things that we give our minds to, the things that we treasure, the things that we ponder form us. It's the things that we give ourselves over to and continuously think about. Some people have said that you become what you treasure. You become the things that you hold closest and nearest. You could put it this way. What you give your attention to is the person that you become. Mary becomes great because God has done great things for her. Put it another way. What you give your attention to is the person that you become. This is someone's favorite author, John Mark Comer, says it this way. But put it another way. The mind is the portal to the soul. And what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you give your attention to. That bodes well for the apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good and beautiful. This is what Luke wants. He wants you and me to say Mary is the model of meditation. Mary is the model of contemplation. Comer goes on, he says, for those of us who give 20, our t- attention 24, to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the nonstop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drivel, as if we give it in the first place, much of it is stolen by a clever algorithm out to monetize our precious attention. But again, we become what we give our attention to for better or for worse. And Luke is saying, treasure this. Treasure the king who was born into the world to forgive us of our sins. Ponder this. That the immense one has become cloistered in this woman's womb. So this season, I'll just ask you and challenge you, guard the things of Christ. And in 2022, treasure the things of Christ. It's meditation. I'm just going to, I want you to think about meditation for one more minute. 
I'm give you a, a long quote from J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. He talks about how do you go from knowing about God to knowing God himself. And he basically says the way to do that is not merely to think about something, but to meditate on it. In, in Hebrew, it's actually like chewing on something. Here's what he said. The rule for doing this, that is for knowing God, is simple but demanding. This is the model of Mary. It's that we turn each truth that we learn about God into a matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and to praise. We have some idea, perhaps, what prayer is, but what is meditation? Well, we may ask, for meditation is a lost art today. And Christian people suffer grievously from their ignorance of the passion practice. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It's an activity of holy thought, of consciously consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means to communion with God. Mary calls you to treasure. And, and maybe that seems too lofty. Maybe just to make it more practical, maybe it means that you need a little place in your apartment that is meant for you to meditate, a little time of day where you need to cultivate your knowledge of the beauty of the incarnation. What if we, like Mary, treasured the things of God? What if we treasured the things like Christ being born to us? In a little bit, we're going to enter into celebration, which can be meditation as well. In this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. He longs to enter in. So, how do we experience the fullness of the incarnation? It's by the extremes. It's by the extremes of celebration and meditation, of exploration and declaration, of treasuring and receiving. That's how we express the fullness of the incarnation. So don't forget our unforgettable God. Treasure him. Sing of him. Explore him. Celebrate him. Meditate on him. He is not forgotten you. I'm going to close with the true Christmas story, which is called It's a Wonderful Life, which you've watched before. Um, there's a little scene at the beginning of, it, of It's a Wonderful Life where uh, the, 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 it sort of opens, snow's falling on this little town of Bedford Falls, and we hear the voice of George Bailey's friends and his family praying, and they're asking God to help George, who's going through a tough time. And then you get those kind of, you get Clarence and a couple of lights up in the sky. Uh, they're far away, and they're shining, two senior angels. And they start talking about the trouble that George is in, and maybe we need to dispatch this angel and uh, Clarence to go down to the earth. And so they do, and then you see these scenes of George sledding on the snowy hills, and how he uh, dives in the water to get his kid brother, Harry, who's gone too far on the sled into the icy water. And then it shows another scene where George, now having lost his hearing, trying to have done something good, um, 
is getting yelled at by Mr. Gower, who's angry at him for being late, and his friends begin to tease him. I just want to bring you to, to one little message that happens in the drugstore as they're buying soda. Mary Hatch, who's going to become uh, George's wife one day, leans over and whispers in his ear and says, is this, is this the ear that you can't hear on? She says, and it is because he's deaf now in that ear. And she whispers to him, George Bailey, I will love you until the day that you die. A little bit over sentimental. But that is what the announcement of the angels is saying, is that God is breaking into the world to say to those of us who are half deaf, to love us to the day, till the day we die and beyond. And even he's saying he will love us till the day that his son dies and beyond as well. So I just want you to hear from the angel, from Mary, from the shepherds, God whispering to you that the incarnation is this sign, that God has loved you to death and beyond. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you and we thank you for the full response of the cast of characters all around the, the nativity scene, Lord, that it is the quietness of a mother holding her child and meditating on the, the purity of your promises, that it's shepherds, <laughs> it says here, making haste, sprinting to see what it is that you have promised, exploring those truths, but it is also the celebration of the angels and the reception that we have of peace in our hearts. So today, this fourth Sunday of Advent, and as we approach the Christmas event itself, may our hearts resound with the fullness of the incarnation, and remember that you have not forgotten us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.